Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. Turn to the book of Exodus 15 with me this morning. It is good to be back with you all. I've missed you. It's good to hear your voices singing. And it's good to hear us say together, let goods and kindred go. Did you realize you just sang that? Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. What goods and what kindred might you want to hold on to? How good it is to know, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can give all of that up. Because there is something more secure than goods and kindred. There is eternal life that is secure for us in Jesus Christ. As I've been thinking about this morning and these verses that we'll read in a moment... I keep coming back to this refrain that we hear in the book of Revelation at the beginning when Jesus Christ says to those seven churches, he who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It reminds me that we need spiritual ears to be able to hear. And that it is possible that there might be some who do not have ears to hear. They have ears, (laughs) physical ears, but they are unable to hear because the God of this world has blinded their minds to the truth of the gospel. Do you have ears to hear this morning? And then what is it? You may have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a great reformational truth. The Word of God and the Spirit of God work in tandem together. Why do we hold the preaching and the teaching of God's Word as central to what we do as Christians? Because we believe that the Holy Spirit works 
through God's word to transform and change people's lives. I want to see God's spirit work. How does that work? It happens through his word. So let us not separate those two. Let us see that they must go together. Why do I desire to preach the word of God? Because I desire to see the spirit of God at work in the people of God. And I know, I know that he will not fail. He will do the work. We might not always see it. It might seem slow and tedious and long and drawn out. But he will work. He will do precisely what he intends to do. So with that, let's go to his word. Would you stand with me as we read Exodus 15? I will read the first 20, 21 verses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your, your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they, have, they trembled. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. 
the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Baby seated. Put your finger there in Exodus 15 and turn over for one moment to Romans chapter 15 as we start our time together this morning. Romans 15, verses 4 through 6, says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is more than one reason why we as Christians sing. We sing to worship our Lord and give Him all the glory, for He alone is worthy to be praised. We sing for the benefit of our own souls to express our love, our devotion, and our gratitude to God. We sing for others to teach to admonish, and to encourage them in the faith. We sing so others might hear us profess the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, so that they hear they are not alone. We sing also as a testimony to the watching world. God has given us His Word, so that we might endure. Do you see that there in Romans 15? For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, God's people have always had to endure. We are people of endurance. We need endurance because we meet consistent and constant resistance in this world. We sang about that this morning. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, this is what we know from our world, a threatening to undo us. Like a stuffed animal between two young children 
with each grasping a different limb, pulling back and forth in tug-of-war fashion. And so you begin to see the thread that holds those limbs to that body of that stuffed animal begin to come apart. So our world threatens to undo us so that we feel the pressure like we are coming apart at our seams. If there was no resistance in this world, if there was no difficulty, no hardship, no suffering, no persecution, there would be no need to endure. And when we face that resistance and when that pressure is applied in the most intense fashion, we are tempted to fear. Will this undo me? Will I be able to make it through this? The pain is unbearable. I don't know how much more I can take. We will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. We need endurance and we need encouragement. Here is the encouragement of the Scripture. Here is God's Word giving us precisely what we need and precisely in the time that we need it. Encouragement given in the face of discouragement. Encouragement to persevere, to go on. Don't give up. Don't give in. Do not lose heart. And so, as Paul says in Romans 15, we have endurance and we have encouragement coming to us through the Scriptures. And why? Because endurance and encouragement are like two wings of an airplane that give lift and cause our hope to soar up to the heavens. It is these that keep our hope alive. It is these that never disappoint so that our hope never comes crashing down. Why do endurance and encouragement not disappoint? Because they are endurance and encouragement that come from the God of endurance and encouragement himself. These are sustained by God. And if you need endurance, encouragement, and if you're not receiving those from God, your plane of hope is in a nosedive and will crash and burn. But notice what the endurance and encouragement that comes from the Lord gives to you, it grants you a treasure. What is this treasure? It's the treasure of being able to live in harmony with one another. It's a relational treasure that you receive and that you experience with other believers. This world has so often tried to lay hold of this treasure. It desires people to live in harmony. You hear it in our world. Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just live in peace? It longs for it, but we realize it will never attain it. 
should be amazing and astounding that we are able to attain it. Do you know how difficult it is to get people to live in harmony? Husbands and wives, parents and children, family members, even those sometimes who you might consider your closest friends, all these relationships and many others can experience discord and separation. How is the seemingly impossible achievement attained? Well, the next phrase in Romans says this, we are to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means you are acting towards one another in the same way Christ has acted toward you. As Paul said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what was the mindset of Christ? The ultimate mindset of humility and self-sacrifice. This is why the harmony that the world strives for can never last. It's because they can never be like Christ because they are not of Christ. Of all people, we as Christians are those who have the spirit of Christ and so not only understand humility and self-sacrifice differently than the world, but we have the ability to practice humility and self-sacrifice like Christ because we are united to him and are indwelt by his spirit, the Holy Spirit. It is through Christ and the sending of the Spirit of God that living in harmony with one another is possible. And what is the purpose of living in harmony with one another. What does it say there? So that together, notice the inclusive language, so that together you or y'all, plural, so that we as many, but look what we as the many have, so that together y'all may with one voice, one voice, Singular. Not many voices. Not people trying to find their own voice. No, there is only one voice. And isn't this what we picture to the watching world when we come together and we sing? We say, we have one voice that comes from one body which has one head who is Jesus Christ alone. We sing together in unison as a demonstration that we have one voice. Singing together like that takes submission. You don't get to sing what you want to sing. Singing with one voice takes humility. Singing with one voice takes self-sacrifice. But singing loudly and singing together is a visible demonstration of our harmony and voice as those who are one with Christ and so also one with each other. And it's with that one voice we glorify 
our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you singing with one voice? Or do you resist the one voice? Or would you rather not sing with the one voice at all? As we come to the edge of the Red Sea, here are the Israelites who've just been brought through the Red Sea on dry land. And what is emanating from around the Red Sea? It's the one voice and the one song sung thousands of years ago. And this is what happens. When you know God's saving work, it elicits worship out of you. When you know that God is the one who saves, you have to worship, you must worship. And you do that through singing. Sing to the Lord. It's a command right there at the very beginning. I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. Thousands of years later, God's saving work still elicits the same worship out of God's people. And so we see how God saves. Exodus 14 has shown us how God saves in a narrative, in a prose fashion. Now Exodus 15 shows us how God saves in a poetry fashion, in a song the same event told from two different perspectives, but telling us and reinforcing the same truths, Yahweh saves. And the basis of this song is twofold. The basis of this song is telling us about who the Lord is and what the Lord has done who the Lord is, and what the Lord has done or will do. This is his person and his work. And we must see that this song that was sung thousands of years ago is our song still today. So there are five points we are drawing out of these verses. We've already seen that we sing praise to the Lord who is imminent. You can find this outline in your bulletin if that's helpful. We sing praise to the Lord who is imminent. That means he's near, he's close, he's, he's active in his creation. We sing praise to the Lord also who has defeated his enemies to deliver his people. So there is his work. Now this morning we'll focus on a few more reasons why we sing praise to the Lord. So number three, we sing praise to the Lord who is transcendent. We sing praise to the Lord who is transcendent. It's a big word, so let me unpack it here for a moment. We, praise, we sing praise to the Lord who is transcendent. We have to realize that point one, the Lord who is imminent, and point three, the Lord who is transcendent, go together. God is both imminent, that is, he is personal, he is involved in human history, he is involved in our lives, praise be to God. And yet he is also transcendent. The textbook definition of God's transcendence is that he is greater than his creation and he is independent of his creation. He is not like his creation. He is not 
part of his creation. As the creator, he is greater than his creation. This means that he is greater than us. And we hear this in Isaiah 55 when the Lord declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Praise the Lord that His ways are higher and better than our way, and His thoughts are higher and better than our thoughts. Our thoughts, our ways, cannot hold the candle to God. He is far greater, far superior to us, and this is the way it should be with God. This isn't a God that we can figure out on our own. He is not one that we can even fully explain. Think about this. You can never get to the end of God and say, I know all that there is to know about God. I've got him figured out. God is infinite. He is eternal. And we hear the same truth heralded from Paul's, uh, Paul's dissertation on salvation in Romans. So in Romans, the first 11 verses... Paul is telling us about this great salvation that we know in Jesus Christ. And then when he gets to the end of it, he says this at the very end of Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How deep are they? You can never plumb the depths of them. He goes on to say, How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We can never give something to God and say, Here God, I give this to you as a gift. He owns everything. Everything is his. I teach my children that all that they have really is mine. Sound different? My kids don't have their own room. That's my room, and I let you live in it. <laughs> Why do I teach them? Why do I say such things to them? Because I'm a mean father? No. Because I want them to understand another principal truth. All that they have comes from the Lord. Because he is the transcendent God, the giver of all good gifts. We can't even give God any advice. Here, God, let me give you some advice. Let me give you, let me tell you what I think you should do. No one's been a counselor ever to God. He doesn't need our advice. What's our advice to him? He sees everything. We see very little. You have a plan for your life? The way that you expect your life to go? Why is it sometimes that we have so much anxiety and discord in our lives? It's because we think we have a better plan. You can trust this transcendent God because his plan is better. And because the plan that he has for you gives him all the glory.
This is the transcendent God. And just as Paul in Romans was asking questions, who's been his counselor? Who can give a gift to him that he might be repaid? So also in our verses now in Exodus 15, the people are singing this question to draw out God's transcendence. So you see that here, don't you, in verse 11 of Exodus 15? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Answer, no one is like the Lord, the almighty God of the universe. God is incomparable. You cannot compare him to anything or anyone. And why not? Because everything else pales in comparison to him. There is nothing in all of the universe, even the entire universe itself, that we could hold up and say, look, this encapsulates God. Only God reveals God. Only God can explain God. And God's greatness is seen in his transcendence over everything and even here over pagan deities. These gods, lowercase g, are not really gods. They are gods that have been devised by men. They are invented by the minds of men. What can false gods do? Nothing. They are idols, fashioned by men, set up as gods, but they are completely worthless in comparison to the supreme worth of Yahweh. They might have mouths, but they do not speak. They might have eyes, but they do not see. They might have ears, but they do not hear. They might have noses, but they do not smell. They might have hands, but they do not feel. They might have feet, but they do not walk. They might have throats, but they are incapable of making any sound. They are dead, lifeless, useless. Israel, remember, remember all the so-called gods of Egypt. What could they do? What power did Pharaoh, who was thought to be the very incarnation of one of their gods, what power did he have? Their gods could not hold you down. Their gods could not keep you enslaved. Their gods could not and did not win. Their gods could not even save them, for where are the Egyptian soldiers now? They are washing up dead, lifeless, on the seashore. But where was Yahweh? Where was God? He was there freeing, redeeming, saving his people while at the same time judging his enemies. Listen to Isaiah 40, 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. It's right here that a question is answered. The question is, what makes Yahweh transcendent? Well, first we see here, who is like you, majestic in holiness? Yahweh is the holy, holy, holy God, and his majestic holiness sets him apart because he is completely and morally pure. He is perfect. He is also completely and utterly devoted to himself and to his own glory. And we must know that Yahweh is holy, but we must know that he doesn't become holy. God does not need to grow in 
holiness. Holy is who he is. He is the standard, the plumb line for holiness. This sets him apart from everything else. No one else can say in and of themselves they are holy, that they are the standard for holiness. We are those who are called to be holy as he is holy. And so we pursue holiness and we grow in holiness. But this holiness comes from him who is holy. Our holiness can only ever be a borrowed holiness. And look at it here. Look at what it says. How does it describe God's holiness? Who is like you? Majestic. It's not often a word that we use, is it? When was the last time you said, whew, that's majestic? It's not in my regular vocabulary just to be honest. But here, this majestic holiness is this magnificent holiness. It is holiness with impressive beauty. And when you see this holiness, you have to look at it. You have to behold it. You have to see it. You want to see it. When you encounter the majestic holiness of God, you have to stare. Even though our parents told us it's not polite to stare, with God's majestic holiness, the only appropriate response is to stare. What else, though, shows us the transcendence of God? His holiness, yes, but also His glorious deeds doing wonders. We have a tendency to throw around that word awesome to dumb it down. Everything in our lives can become awesome. The hamburger I just ate was awesome. We can take just about anything and make it awesome. But there is only one who's truly awesome. This is the sense that you stand in complete awe and in reverential fear of Yahweh. We see his awesomeness displayed in his glorious deeds, deeds that are too wonderful to completely comprehend because they are wonders, deeds that are inexplainable, inexplicable. There's no natural explanation for them. There's no natural explanation for why the waters of the Red Sea split. There's no natural explanation for the fire of, or the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led the Israelites God performed his glorious deeds, and there's no question as to what was happening. There's no question who had the power or the ability to do such a thing. There was no question that God had done a glorious deed and had so gloriously triumphed over his enemies. He stretched out his right hand, denoting his power and his authority, and the earth, what did it do? It swallowed up the Egyptians. Look at that there. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. When we read those words, the earth swallowed them, we should say, this is exactly what God said would happen. Do you remember that? When did God say that this would happen? You'll go all the way back to Exodus 7. 
there, do you remember what happened? Aaron was before Pharaoh, and Aaron had thrown his staff on the ground, and it had become a serpent or a dragon. And then what happened? Pharaoh got his magicians. They came. They threw down their staffs. What happened? They turned into serpents or dragons. But then what happened? Aaron's staff swallowed up. It's the same word. Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, saying, you are not going to win. You do not have any power. You will be swallowed up in judgment by the Lord himself. And what happens? Exactly what God said would happen. The earth swallowed them up. They were defeated. They were destroyed. He was victorious. He won. He is the transcendent God who does whatever he pleases his own way and ultimately for his own glory. And so we ask ourselves for a moment this morning, does God's transcendence matter to us today? Does it have any relevance or is it just some pie-in-the-sky truth that we can ponder and think to ourselves, well, isn't it nice that God is transcendent? Dear brother and sister, do not be deceived. The truth that God is transcendent has more relevance than you might think at first glance. In fact, it is absolutely crucial to the spiritual battle that we are engaged in in this world. So turn with me for a moment to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, 4. says this, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? The world rages against the transcendent of God, uh, transcendence of God and tries to boast in the transcendence of the beast. Who is like the beast? He is unstoppable. He is powerful. He will win. The world is deceived by these lies, yet they shout them out at the top of their lungs. And if we are honest, do we ever succumb to this temptation and fear by saying, yeah, who is like the beast? He is pretty powerful. It seems like he is winning in the world. Is there any use in fighting against the beast? Here today, God, brother and sister, here today, God say, he is greater than the beast. Jesus Christ the rider on the white horse will come and behold, he will fight the beast and he will win and he will throw the beast into the lake of fire. Let us stop fearing, thinking the beast is transcendent. No, Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, he is transcendent and we need to be reminded of it over and over and over again in a dark and twisted generation that would love nothing more than for us to despair 
and give up on the transcendence of the living God. But we will not and we cannot. But first, we must repent and abhor those times when we have stripped God of his transcendence to make him more like us. We must cry out to the Lord and ask for forgiveness when the thought of him in our minds has become ordinary and mundane. We must go back to the transcendence of God again and again because when the transcendence of God occupies our hearts and our minds, it is meant to make our souls soar to new heights of rejoicing in the glory of God. It is meant to plunge us deeper into the depths of His unfathomable, steadfast love. It's meant to make us burst out in song singing, The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Who is like the Lord our God? No one. No one. Let's pray. Who is like you, O Lord? The one who is seated on high. There is no one. There is nothing like you. And so I pray the truth that you are over all, that you are greater than all, that you are majestic in holiness, the doer of awesome deeds, doing wonders. You would fill our hearts and minds today. And Father, to know the great act of salvation that you have done in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners. Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning who does not know you, who has not put their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day. That they would see you as the transcendent God. They would see their need for a Savior. And that they would turn put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That you would give them this gift of faith in Jesus the Redeemer. Oh God, we deal with truths that sometimes are difficult to comprehend and, comprehend and understand but truths that continue to point to your greatness and to your glory. And so, Father, let us receive these truths and let these truths fuel our desire for you more and more. 
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.